Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 8, 4 through 15. Please follow along with me as I read. And when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, indeed you are good. As I looked across this room and noticed those standing who've lost loved ones singing, you are good. We're reminded indeed you are. For those who've walked dark valleys, they could still say, you are good. You didn't promise to remove valleys, but what you did promise is to walk through those valleys with us. And we just thank you. Father, we as a, a city have experienced another dark valley in the sense of the shootings this week. We pray for the families who are mourning the loss of loved ones. We pray for our police force, our politicians. Thank you for these men and women who many are in harm's way to provide safety and security for us. And Lord, as Chuck prayed, we know that ultimately we need a revival. <laughs> we need you to work in the hearts of men and women, young men and women, children, Lord, to draw them to you. Thank you for the church, Big C, that is preaching the word, that is standing in the gap. Lord, may we be known as ones who are clear on the peace, the hope, the joy that we have. And in the midst of life's difficulties, we can say, you are good. You are faithful. We thank you. We praise you. Guide us now as we go to the text. Thank you for your word. 
For in it, we're reminded of how good you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 8, and if you've just joined us, we're journeying through this book in 10 years. It's exciting. So Luke chapter 8 is where we are. And as you turn there, uh, I don't know about you, but you remember the first time you ever flew on a plane? Uh, You you sat down uh, in that seat and you were so excited because it has a window. Even though it was two seats over, you have a window. It's dynamite. And I can remember sitting there and I'm going, oh, look at that. They're loading our luggage. So I'm taking photos, leaning over the other two people. You know, it's, it's just, it's fantastic. You just can't beat it. You know, as you're sitting there on that plane the very first time. And the excitement grows as that flight attendant stands in the front and says, we have a pre flight security safety video that we'd like to show you so that you can know where the safety features are of this plane. You go, no way. A free video. Mind you, you paid for it. But anyways. And so you're listening, to, you know, to this video and I'm, I get out the brochure and I'm, I'm making sure that I understand exactly where the, the lights are and, you know, the exit seats are. And, oh yes, there's that container above me that has that oxygen mask that'll drop down. I don't know what good that will do you, but that's nice that it's there. And, you know, I, I, this is just fantastic, you know. And then I start to look around. I realize there's some people that are just half listening. You know, they're looking out the window or they're flipping through that that magazine that's there in that pocket right in front of them. And, and then there's others who don't even seem to care at all. In fact, they're asleep or they've got headsets on. And you're going, wait a minute. And then you look at the flight attendant and he or she looks a little bored just going through the, you know, this is the next thing you do. It reminds me of the parable of the sower. The word of God is being delivered and there's a variety of responses, isn't there? We see here in the text in Luke chapter 8 starting in verse 4. Parables are common in the life of Jesus and his teaching. Uh, In fact, one-third of his teaching is in parables. There are 50 recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what is a parable? What what does that mean, these stories that Jesus is delivering? The term means to place beside or to cast alongside. A parable can be defined as a comparison or a parallel where you take something that is common, something we all know, and in that world it would have been based around agriculture. Uh, For instance, the mustard seed, remember that parable? Um, Or here, the one with the sower. These are common day activities and it's used to illustrate a very profound theological concept, often the kingdom of God. These comparisons are meant to draw the listener into the story and help explain the concept or the principle that's being related. Warren Wiersbe, in a book that's seldom known by this author on parables, he writes, Parables are both mirrors and windows. As mirrors, they help us see ourselves. They reveal our lives as they really are. As windows, they help us see life and God. Parables are not uncommon in the first century. It was a frequently used didactic tool by the rabbis and teachers of the day. And Jesus, he's not living in a vacuum. He's utilizing a a system or a style that they would all be very familiar with as he draws the listener in, the reader. 
The content of the parable is going to be seen here in verses 4 through 8. And then there's going to be an issue on interpretation of parables. And then we have an explanation that Jesus will give. The structure is the same in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three gospel writers will record this parable. And it falls within the narrative at a very crucial point. In Luke's gospel, which we've been studying, we've had several events that says, this is Jesus. And now we get to this parable that says, and now how are you going to respond? And we'll see that as we move through. So let's look at this. It says a large crowd was gathering. Mark tells us this is at Capernaum. In fact, Mark tells us that the crowd is so large that Jesus will go out in a boat to do the teaching, which is you have a natural amphitheater with the bank, so it works perfectly fine there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he tells us about a sower. Now, in first century Israel, Palestine, sowing was done in early winter. Harvest was in June. And our farmer, our sower, would have a bag that he would sling over his shoulder and he would grab the seed and just throw it out along the field as he was sowing. And that's why you have some seed that falls on, and we see here the first of these seeds, it falls on the path. It doesn't get into the dirt, which you would hope that it does. And some of you who are farmers are going, wow, this is a very unusual way of doing it. I know with growing up, we had a huge farm and a garden and, and my dad, we would measure how deep the seeds would go. He did the strings. The lines had to be perfect. That's what you get with a German American family, right? And, and so, I mean, it was down to a science, uh, not just throwing the just seed and hoping it lands. I thought, this is a way to go. I like this. Uh, and the downside is, as we see here, the first group of seeds is that they fall on this path, this, this ground, and they're trampled on and the birds eat them, according to this parable. The second group we see, notice what the text tells us, they fell on rocks. And when it came up, it withered because it had no moisture. There's, there's no roots in this, is there? Now, if you've been to Israel, you know it is very rocky terrain. Um... And the idea here is that not that it falls among rocky soil, but it falls on soil very shallow that's sitting on rock. We had a spot in our house back in Ohio. The grass in this one area never grew. It bugged me to no end. I couldn't figure out why it just kept dying. And so one day I said, I'm going to replace it. I'm going to dig down. And, and I started digging and I hit. I thought, oh my, I've, I've hit a bunker. Uh, I just kept digging and digging. And this one and a half foot by three foot concrete slab had been buried in the dirt by the builder. How nice. And, and so, you know, you got to clear that all out. I had a hole that you could bury a truck in. But we got it out and, and the grass finally grew. Because why? There was a rock underneath. And so the sower, the parable of the sower, which probably should be called the parable of the seed or the soil, would be a better title, we, we see here falls on this rocky terrain. A third group, as we see, does take root. I mean, it's just fantastic. Notice what it says. If, but it falls among the thorns and the weeds. The weeds in Israel can grow up to six feet tall. Oh, they're pretty. They've got all sorts of beautiful flowers. Red, blue, yellow. I mean, it's magnificent. But they're going to take the nourishment. And as we see here, it prevents those seeds 
from producing fruit, right? So you, you, you have three seeds, the very first three, not one of them germinates. Not one. Not one of them produces fruit. Reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 3. It's a warning. It says, For thus saith the Lord the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. I did, don't cast it among the thorns or you're going to have serious problems. Well, the sower is looking to what? Have produce. And these first set of seeds, all three of them, are useless. It's only the fourth seed. And notice what the text tells us. But some fell on good soil and it grew. And, it, and we're told that it produces a hundred times as much grain, probably referring to the grains of the plant rather than bushels. But the point is, there is a superb yield. In the Mediterranean world of the first century, it was taught that a good grain yields a hundredfold. So the idea here is that it is a magnificent uh, crop that is yielded from the good soil that the seed falls into. Now there's a couple observations to look at this text. Don't miss it. Bear with us here. The first of all is there's a threefold description. Did you catch that with the seeds? All three of them. You have it fell. Well the first one it fell, it came, it was devoured. The last one it fell, it gave and it bore fruit. So you have this threefold effect with each of the seeds. And also there seems to be a progression with the length of each seed's survival. The first one, that sucker is snatched up by the birds right away. Right? And the last one, of course, is producing fruit. Jesus concludes this parable and he says, To the one who has ears to hear, they better listen. This is key. Don't miss this. The call to hear in the New Testament is a call to obey. In fact, in this narrative that we're going to see, Luke will mention hearing four times. It's even reiterated and in, in look at verse 18. He gives another parable and he says, so listen carefully. And then he states in verse 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and what? Do it. That's the assumption, right? That you hear the word of God and you do it. The disciples are standing there going, huh? What are you talking about, Jesus? We know it's a parable. We're told it's a parable. So they understand this is going somewhere. But Jesus isn't giving a lesson on agriculture. They know that. They're confused. And notice in verse 9, it says, Then his disciples asked him, What does this parable mean? And he said, you've been given the opportunity to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. And then he quotes from Isaiah 6. He states, although they see, they may not see. And although they hear, they may not understand. This is where it gets a little difficult. And bear with us as you have there your notes. In verse 9, it's clear that the disciples are confused. They're asking for clarity here on, on this parable that has been given. Uh, 
And the Lord states that by giving this parable, he's revealing a mystery. Notice what he states, the mystery of the kingdom. The idea here is the access to God's plan. A mystery is something that was been hidden that is now revealed. And one scholar writes in his commentary, a secret is that which is not divulged, but once known, it need not be hard to grasp. It is a privileged information rather than a puzzle. And so the Lord states to those that seek him, they will be have, they'll have access to what he's been teaching. And the response from Jesus is clear. There, there's what? There's two groups. There's one group who, who has the access and, and can grasp this. There's another group that actually it's, it's being hidden from them. They're denied access. And the implication is they are going to be judged. The context is Isaiah 6. It's key to understanding what Jesus is stating here. And I mentioned this there in your notes if you have those on your chair or if you're watching online it's available there electronically. Isaiah 6 is the commissioning of Isaiah. And when you see an Old Testament text, I've mentioned this before, you want to go back to the Old Testament and look at the context. It's like pulling a plant out of a pot in the fall. What happens? You get the whole cotton caboodle, don't you? You get the dirt and everything around the roots and the whole thing. That's kind of what you want to do with an Old Testament text. You want to look back to Isaiah 6 and see what is going on and it's very clear. And what Jesus is stating is similar, you all are similar to the, the people of Isaiah's ministry. That is the word of God is given it's important and it, and it by so giving it, there's two opportunities. One is to respond, given to those that are faithful. And to another group, it's a sign of judgment because you have refused to listen. To conceal or reveal depends ultimately, then I would argue, on one's openness to the Lord. Think about Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh with the Exodus? It says several times in the text that he hardens his heart. That's the first five. But when you get to plague six, it's God who hardens his heart. God says enough. You've refused to listen. You've refused to respond to the message I'm giving through my messenger Moses. And so now I'm going to harden your heart. And judgment has come. This is the idea of the parables now listen, speaking in parables was not an indication that God did not want to forgive people. We need to remember that. But what this is, is a blunt statement concerning the inevitable. People would hear but not really understand. They suffered from spiritual cataracts. Wearsby makes this great quote. He says, the sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. The parable is delivering a message and yet... For those who seek after the Lord, who seek to learn and to know, notice the disciples, were, they could approach Jesus, and they did, to, know, to give us the understanding here. But to another group, it's judgment. It's further indication that you are not the good soil. I mean, think of John three sixteen through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's the gospel. There it is in a nutshell. But 
Listen to what verse 17 through 21 states. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in, in order that the world might be saved. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Daryl Bach in his commentary here states parables are introduced because of the previous lack of response to Jesus' teaching. Think about this. We've already seen time and time again in the Lucan narrative as we've been moving through this gospel. Here's a presentation of your Jesus, your Messiah. Respond. And you, you see the miracles. Respond. And yet you, you begin to see this divide which we've been seeing, right? The religious rulers over here who refuse to respond and, and those who do. And then you've got this crowd that's sitting in the middle and, and the parables are even separating them. And, and Bach goes on to state the Isaiah text that we see here, Isaiah 6, points to the analogy between the current rejection and the generations of old. This is nothing new. Isaiah was warned when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Your ministry, as you pr pronounce the word, you're going to have people who are going to embrace it. And for others, this announcement of the word is going to be judgment because they've refused to respond to the message that I have given. No one can claim they didn't know. Romans 1 says, just look at creation. God has revealed himself. His handiwork, Psalm 19. God has revealed himself. And he's also revealed himself in the word. And the parables separated those that, that seek to respond versus those who have not responded. And thus it's judgment. But Jesus isn't done. Because in verse 11 now, he's going to explain the parable to us. And this is key. Details of a parable, as you study the Gospels, keep in mind, they should not be allegorized. Not pushed beyond their purpose. In fact, parables were never meant to declare doctrine. They were meant to illustrate it. That, that is vital. They never were meant to, to lay out doctrine, but to simply illustrate it. And that's what we see here. And so when you're interpreting a parable, you want to look at the context. It's key. Often at the end, there's an under, understanding is being given. And such is the case here. You want to look at the, not only the literary surroundings, but the cultural nuances and the historical features. Is there Old Testament references being brought in? And that is certainly clear here. Look at verse 11. This is Jesus. It's red letters. Now the parable means this. So we, we don't have to, oh, you know, well, this means this, this. No, no, no. The text tells us. That's good. It says the seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who've heard the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe. Birds were often associated as representation of, of evil or Satan's ambassadors. And earlier, or in other gospel writers, it tells us that the birds snatched up the seed. Verse 13, there, those that are on the rocks are the ones who receive the word with joy. They're the flash in the pan. Woo, this is exciting. Next thing you know, you don't even know where they are because there's no root. 
They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. Verse 14, as for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the worries and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. But as for the seed that landed on good soil, these are the ones who, after hearing, did you catch that? Let those who have ears hear the word, doing it will be uh, with an honest and good heart, will bear fruit with steadfast endurance. All we need to do in context is look back to the Old Testament. A sowing role or the sower is often a role that's given to the Lord. The image of God as a sower shows that he is the one who gives life. He's the one who sustains life. And throughout the Old Testament as well as intertestament Jewish literature, that's stressed. Also, we, we see here that the word is the seed. The text tells us this. Jesus lets us know that the whole parable is centered on the seed that's being given. It, it is what imparts life. First Peter 1 highlights this. It may seem small and insignificant, the word of God, but it is powerful and it produces fruit. Also, I think it's important to note as Jesus unpacks this parable that we're not talking about phases of life of one particular individual. We're talking about four different individuals. And that is key here. And the issue is not what that they heard or what they heard. It is how they have heard and how they have responded. Look at the four groups. The first of these is those with a hard heart. The failure is immediate. Hosea 10. Break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord. The ultimate cause, the text tells us, it's Satan. Satan's opposition to the purpose of God is crystal clear when it comes to evangelism, the gospel. And if you, you shared the gospel with someone, and I, there's just this blank stare. There is no concept of what you're talking about. Satan's putting the blinders on. He's seeking to hinder that seed from germinating in the life of that individual. Not only is there a hard heart, there's a shallow heart. These are the flash in the pans, I call them. The emotional here. There's joy. Woo, this is great. But ultimately, action must accompany attitude. It must be seen. Matthew 7, you shall know them by their what? Their lips? No, by their fruit. Or lack thereof. And that's the danger of, of, of having a celebrity or a movie star who's just been saved come and share their testimony. There needs to be time for that to soak in. We need to be careful because there is such thing as shallow hearts where truly the gospel has not pierced the soul. There's also the distracted heart. These are the ones who do respond to the gospel. They seem to have embraced it and yet the worries of life, the riches, the pleasures choke it out. And I was thinking about this. It's the weeds, these thorns. Weeds grow very easily, don't they? If you have a garden, I did not plant dandelions in my yard or in my flower beds, but they just seem to grow. I don't go to sundown gardens and ask for where the ragweed section is. <laughs> 
And sometimes it's very hard early on to tell what is the weed. My son is a great helper in, in our landscaping. I have to ch chuckle this past week. He goes, Dad, here's a, here's a weed I just pulled. Well, that was a flower, but thank you. <laughs> I do the same thing. It's hard to tell early on, uh, you know, with certain plants, whether you, you've got a weed that you're looking at or it's a flower. And sometimes you have to let them grow for a while to figure it out. But those weeds will choke. They will take the nourishment. The worst thing you can do, you know, around your rose bush is allow that grass to grow around it. They're just going to suck the nutrients right out of that rose bush. The weeds of excessive concern about one's welfare, his possessions, and comforts will prevent fruitfulness and ultimately indicate, I would argue, the true state of one's heart. I was watching around the auditorium as we were singing, You Are Good. And there's some in this room that have walked some very dark valleys. And to see, see you sing, it, it, you are good, I get choked up. That's hard. But that's an individual who knows God and has sought after him, has not given up despite the difficulties of life. And that leads us to the fourth one, and that is the fruitful heart. And notice that Jesus gives us three things about the fruitful heart. Number one, they're honest and good. In other words, there's a moral quality and integrity. 2 Corinthians 5, those who have been justified, declared right by Christ, his righteousness has been reckoned to their account. And this is how you can be morally good and honest and they're holding fast. They are not wavering in one's commitment to the Lord. Oh, there may be some dark days. There's times when doubt percolates. Just look at James 1. But we run to the Lord. We seek him. And there is patience, the text tells us. It's the opposite of falling away. It's the hope that you cling to. There's a quote at the bottom of your notes by J.C. Ryle, the Puritan. He says, obedience is the only reality. It is a faith visible, faith acting, and faith manifest. It is the test of real discipleship among the Lord's people. Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. So whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It's not stated explicitly in this parable, but I would argue it's loosely alluded to when Isaiah 6 is given, and that is Isaiah 55. This is a key text. If you're taking notes, you definitely want to write this down. Isaiah 55, 3 through 13. Listen to these words in light of the parable of the sower. Incline your ear. And come to me here that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. A nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel for he has glorified you. And listen to what he says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Don't allow the parable to be your judgment. 
Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will be abundantly parting or gracious. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And listen to what Isaiah states. Quoting the Lord. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, making it go forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing. And the trees of the earth shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up and the cypress. Indeed the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Isn't that great? Isaiah 55, I would argue, is the backdrop of Isaiah 6. And, 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 and there's a few scholars who would argue it's also the basis for the whole parable of the sower. God's word going forth, bringing peace, healing, restoration. And that leads us to three points in your notes. First of all, the word of God is ultimately de de victorious. <clears throat> Excuse me. Despite the refusal by many individuals to listen and obey its teaching, our task is to share the seed. And I was thinking through this. There's five points I want to highlight. The seed is not to be packaged with a polished sermon or fine tune. It's okay if it is, but that we need to remember that success or failure is related to the soil, not the seed. Do not underestimate the power of God's word. I've had people say, well, I'm, I'm really nervous sharing my faith. Well, good thing it's not up to you or me. You got the Holy Spirit and the word. Go forth. Secondly, soil samples do not determine the sowing process. There is a danger in marketing our message or our services catering to a particular individual. The seed or the word of God no longer becomes the all-important point. Be very careful. Third, the seed is not mixed with other seeds. When we planted corn, I didn't have beans stuck in the, the corn bin of the seeds that I was using. The word of God is not to be mixed with philosophy, man's traditions, or political theories. The gospel cannot, nor must it, be shared stage with any other, or it's no longer the gospel. Fourth, God gives the increase, not us. Yay. We are not called to be successful. We are called to be faithful. And fifth, God expects us to participate in the sowing. We as sowers must work hard, remain faithful and patient, and obviously express concern. So the word of God, it's, it's victorious. Isn't that great? <laughs> the sower cast it out. And those whom God has called ultimately will respond. B, it is good to take a soil sample of our own life. <laughs> Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in and through us? In what ways are you trying to nourish the spiritual seed God has planted in you? As we've seen in the book of James, faith without works is dead. 
Genuine faith, I will argue, will produce fruit at some point and at some time. The book of James is interesting, isn't it? It gives you three litmus tests on genuine faith. It goes for the pocketbook, it goes for the tongue, and it goes for pride. Ouch. The pocketbook, tongue, and pride. It says, look at those three areas. How are you stacking up? Is your lip service matching your actions? Now we're not arguing for perfection here. James also states, we all stumble. <laughs> And 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive. If we struggle in the Christian life because of the presence of sin, I would argue if you're struggling with sin in your life and wanting to live a holy life, it's a good sign that the Spirit is convicting. J.C. Ryle also wrote, we may take comfort about our souls if we know anything of an inward fight and conflict. It is an invariable companion of genuine Christian holiness. Do we find in our hearts, our hearts a spiritual struggle? Do we feel anything of war in our inward man? Well, let us thank God for it. It is a good sign. It's a, it's a good evidence of the great work of sanctification that is being set apart. Anything, he writes, is better than apathy, stagnation, deadness, and indifference. Give me someone who professes to know Jesus and not struggling with sin, and I grow very concerned. Because sin is like oil and water. To, sin is like to the Christian life like oil and water. They don't mix. And, and, and what we are called to do is to be faithful as followers of the Lord. It's time to take an inventory. If you claim to know Christ, then there's no fruit. Because only one of the four seeds is a true believer. And this last point is there's no standard for perfection in the Christian life. In the other gospel writers, it said some seed produced 30-fold, some 60, some 100. And I love that. We're not comparing ourselves to one another Confession. I love eating a bowl of ice cream, as you all know. And what I would prefer to do is to leave it on the corner of the sink when I am done so that I can savor the vanilla bean and, and just leave that bowl there until I do dishes later on. You know, why just do one bowl, you know? But for my wife, that is a pet peeve. And I love my wife, so I try, not always, but I try to rinse out that bowl and stick it in the dishwasher. I figured I'm losing a few more calories in so doing. But I do it because I love her. I wrote, if you've been freed from the enslavement of sin, the indwelling and you have the indwelling of the Spirit, enjoying a close relationship with the Lord, and you possess a peace and hope that only comes from a relationship with the Almighty God, then you are going to want to follow hard after the Lord. You're going to want to produce fruit that's in keeping with the Spirit. No disciple will fail to bear fruit, but how much and how visible and how long, no one can say. Discipleship comes in all sizes, doesn't it? Spurgeon states, faith and works are bound up in the same bundle. He that is without faith is without works. And he that is without works is without faith. We are called to produce. We're called to bear fruit. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes.
we, we don't normally do this, but this morning in studying this text, it's an, an opportunity for us to reflect on our own lives. Has there been a transformation in your life? Or are you like the sea that responded in joy and you've just fizzled out? You're not too excited about what your parents are espousing Maybe you've seen hypocrisy and it's like the thorns. It's kind of, you don't want a part of this. I implore you today, repent of your sin and accept this incredible gift. Or are you this morning and your life has yielded a very small crop? God has been faithful, but your life, to be quite frank, has not shown great faithfulness. If someone to, were to log into your computer, <laughs> they might be shocked. Or if they listened to your phone conversations you've had this past week, or they did an audit of your taxes, would they be shocked? It's been some time since you've submitted to the things of the Lord that I encourage you this morning to rededicate your life. Come to this one who offers peace, hope, life. As we sing this last song, Promises, if the musicians would come, perhaps you need to come forward. We'd love to pray with you. There's a prayer table over to the right, or you want to talk to me. But as we sing this song, if you say, hey, I need to get serious with God, this is not a game to play, then I encourage you to do so. Father, thank you for this parable. As we've been studying in Luke, we've seen all these glorious portraits of your son. His ability to heal, his ability to cast out demons, his ability to wax eloquent in theology. And an understanding that he is the one that's going to give his life. And yet we get to this parable and there's a real call. How are we going to respond? Lord, we want hearts that beat for you, that seek after you. We want to be known as seeds producing fruit. Being ones that are found faithful because you are faithful. And we thank you in Jesus' name.